Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Some exciting news to share during a period of time when there's so much doom and gloom going on all around us and for many of us within us. It's a tough time for all of us. And yet in nine and a half days at midnight on Tuesday, May 5th, rolls out the book in awe. It was several years of research, of writing, of work, of effort, of prayer, and I'm extraordinarily excited to share it with the entire world. It is packed with joy, with optimism, and with practical ways to rediscover your childlike wonder. My friends, as we continue to weather the storm and lean into the headwinds of the coronavirus, In Awe presents us an opportunity to rediscover living our very best lives. So why wait until release day? Why not join me right now, learn more, and maybe even pre-order your very own copy? Join me at readinawe.com. Let me say it one more time. I know you've heard it before, but maybe you haven't been there yet. So join me at readinawe.com. You will have an opportunity there to learn more about the book and why this is the perfect season to rediscover your childlike awe. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, my friends, today I get to welcome you to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary and bring on a woman who I have admired for years. Not only does she have an incredible heart and a joyful soul, this lady, our guest today, has an amazing voice and ridiculous talent. That talent has led her to be an award-winning singer. She's won two Grammys. She's got seven doves, but who's counting? Five Billboard Music Awards and is a two-time American Music Award winner. Currently, her song, you may have heard of this one, You Say, You Say, has spent 83 weeks at number one on Billboard's Hot Christian Charts. That's right. I have the pleasure of sharing this woman, her music, her songs, her soul with you today. Her name is Lauren Daigle. Lauren, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, how are you? I'm awesome, man. How, how are, are you doing? Um, so great. I am really excited about this. I, um, I just told one of my friends, I was like, you know, a lot of times you go in and do these things, and it's almost like God has something on the other side for you that you don't even you didn't even plan for in your day, you know? You have so no I'm idea. Excited. So, I, I, first of all, like, I'm a fan. I really, I just respect your work. I love your heart. We'll talk about that throughout our interview. Well, I am elated to be with you. I was reading a little bit earlier about your story. My team, like, sent over a thing about your story. I was like, oh, my gosh. Right. I am fascinated by this human. I would love to hear more of it, not from black and white. Right. Yeah, words on a screen, but from your mouth, that's amazing. That is, it's pretty so, fascinating. And explosive just, fire, is that correct? Right. Yeah, that's how God yeah. works. In, in reading your story and just knowing your story, 
it's the same thing. It's God rarely, rarely uses uh, sunshine to draw us toward him. He can, but it seems like he almost always uses the storms of loneliness or disease or COVID-19 or fires. It is almost always in where you would not think he is going to be next. That is exactly where he is. He draws you forward in the direction you would have never gone on your own. And here you and I connect downstream and get to celebrate what he's doing next. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I was just watching this thing earlier um, about Henry, Dr. Henry Cloud was speaking right. on how the world is right now and the shape of everything and how detrimental some, some people can feel in this process, how low people can feel in this process of figuring out okay what's coming next like where are we what does this this mean and the whole time i've been thinking like we're on the precipice of something extraordinary that's what's happening because if the whole world is becoming still right now if the whole world is kind of experiencing a level of silence or a level of stillness great things come on the other side of those experiences or at least that has that's been my experience you know that on the other side there's something um profound that god teaches or reveals or shares and um we've i've talked to one of my friends just about the mysteries of god like and there's so many mysteries to unfold and discover hey lauren where would you be today if COVID 19 wasn't wasn't a global pandemic Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I would, I would be out on tour to start. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what, what city. I'm like, what month are we in? All of that flipped upside down, you know. I would be out on tour. I tell you what, that world has pretty much flipped upside down, the touring world. So my life is definitely looking drastically different as probably so many of the people listening in just through so much change but you know I'm I'm learning slowly but surely (laughs) but learning that embracing change is probably one of the best tools that I could give my life give myself Mm -hmm. to keep going forward I'm like okay I need to learn to love change because it is inevitable (laughs) and this is definitely an experiment in that I would say (laughs) You know, I think anybody can Google you. They can watch your music. Many of them have seen you live and all of them have rocked out to you when they're jamming down the road. But rather than talking about what you're doing today or the music, I want to back up a little bit, talk about you growing up. I've heard you say before that when you were a child, that's actually when you felt most pure. And today, when you're trying to reconnect to what you're called to do next, you want to return to that like childlike awe. And so I just thought it'd be cool to start our interview with you talking about what it was like for you growing up in Lafayette. Oh, I love that. Um, Well, Lafayette is, in retrospect to really big cities, I would say it's on the smaller side of things. There's about 150,000 people that live there. I grew up surrounded by this culture of music and of passion and of creativity and it's kind of the dna it's kind of the fabric of lafayette and of the louisiana culture we love people there was a lot of unique experiences that i had as a kid one i learned how to zydeco dance you know my grandfather would put me on his feet 
he would teach me how to move. He would teach me how to, to dance. And I loved it. And still today, I can't say that I'm the best dancer, but I absolutely enjoy it. But what that did was it brought about this desire to learn about music and learn about culture and learn how, how to integrate that into my life. And we would have this festival every year called Festival International. And it's where people from all over the world would come to Lafayette and they would show their travel dances. And I realized how diverse the place that I grew up in was. And um, I really, I think that that kind of made me who I am. It, it's very generational in Louisiana. You think about your mom and dad, you think about your grandparents, you think about your great grandparents, and then all of their friends, you know? Yes. And the reason for that is because everybody is is sharing um, elements of their culture and elements of their experience in music. And so like, for instance, you'll have a, a Zydeco washboard player and he's a grandfather teaching his grandson. And then his friend is showing him how to play the accordion. And you just see this unique I hear you loud and clear. I, I think you're describing why jazz grew out of Louisiana, man. It's this influx of all this, this background from all over the world. I know. And, and I remember, I think because I was surrounded by it, it's really funny. I didn't know a lot of the musical history. I just knew from the experience, you know, what I've had. And I, it's kind of funny because I would sit and listen and sit and listen and it wasn't until this past year this is probably bad on my part but I went to my producer and I said can you actually explain to me like the history of jazz and why it was created in all the different places and what elements were brought in from you know Chicago to New York to Africa to New Orleans like what what did it all mean but the Zydeco realm of things definitely came from Lafayette and I had the privilege to go up to Nova Scotia and kind of learn about some of my ancestors and it was it is almost the exact same with the accordions and mm. that kind of sound anyway so I say all of that to say music was a very 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 formative way of learning for me it was a, a way of life and it was a way of coming out of really hard and dark times as well when I was a teenager I was diagnosed with an illness that put me on homebound for about a year and a half. The illness was not very extreme. I think when people hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, it must have been something really bad. It wasn't actually really bad. It was called cytomegalovirus. Right. And, you know, it's an immunocompromised kind of thing. And so I had to just really lay low. And with that, music became a way to stay out of depression and to get motivated about something that was greater than the time I was living in, if that makes sense. Lauren, I'm curious, as, as I was preparing for this conversation today, going back through your history, thinking through where we are today as a society, COVID-19, of course, spreading, forcing people to lay low. I'm assuming you see that tie between what you experienced as a young girl with what we all are forced to experience today. Absolutely. I, you know, and I think that's why I almost seem delusional in some moments because I have this hope on the other side of it because I know what being still did for my life. Being still showed me the future in a way that I can't, I don't even know how to explain, but 
I would sit down and have these like daydreams of all sorts of things. Like I would daydream about tour buses and shows and awards and songs. At the time I wasn't singing or doing anything. And I remember thinking like, am I getting cabin fever? Am I losing my mind? The further along I went into it, the more I realized like, no, that was God giving me hope. You, you have such a remarkable voice. Were you really not singing before you were 15? No, not at all. I didn't start singing, like, I didn't start voice lessons until, gosh, I think I was 16. And then the first time I sang in public, I was, I did, like, one play when I was a little kid. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I was asked to sing the solo. Right. And I remember there was only one person that was asked to sing a solo in the whole third grade. And I was like, there's no way that it's going to be me. Like, there is no way. I wish that I was talented enough for something like that. But my heart craved it. Like, I really, really wanted to. And when the music teacher came to me and said, hey, I, I want you to be the one to do the solo, I freaked out. I was like, really? I, you think that I have potential for this? It was kind of like the first time I realized, like, someone else was seeing something in me that I had longed for the world to see. Like, they believed in me before I really believed in myself. I think that was one of the the first experiences with that. Let me ask you about that. I, when I sing, and by the way, I sing loud in the shower and in church and nowhere else for very good reason. But I, I try to sing like I'm expected to sing a song. Your voice is uniquely Lauren Daigle. Like it, it, you're not imitating uh, from what I'm hearing anybody else. When did you go from imitating like a parrot singing whatever else everybody else was singing at the time and trying to be like someone to saying, you know what, I'm gonna be used and I'm going to let my own voice, my real voice, be heard authentically. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like I am still, I think every day discovering music is a process. With that, like, I still to date work on that. Like, what is it that is fully uniquely me that I want to bring about in my voice? And I think that that age came, like, the, the phase for me came probably in my early 20s, when I was like 22, I remember singing in the studio and I was in a lot of interviews at this point and people kept saying, like they kept referring to me as the Christian Adele or whatever. <laughs> and I was not at all like frustrated or upset about that right. because I loved her voice. Like I, I always thought her voice was amazing. I mean, and it inspired me a lot when I was right. younger. So I think there was this point, though, that I was like, you know what, I need to discover what it is in my sound that is an experience or something that I've like needed to work out. A lot of times I think this might sound crazy, but my life experiences allow a texture or a tone or I don't know, an emotion or something to come out of my voice that is only like can only come out of me from what I've experienced or what I've dealt with and I think that's what's true for Adele that's true for Amy Winehouse that was true for Elvis that was true for you name it and so mm -hmm. I think for me it was diving deeper into some of those things wow. it was diving deeper into okay what is it that I need to express or what is it that hasn't come out of me yet because I haven't pressed in a little bit more. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, and I think you only have those experiences 
worth singing about when you take risks that really challenge who you were to who you're being called to be next. And one of the things that impressed me about your bios, after graduating high school, you take off, instead of going to a, a beach somewhere, you go to serve, I believe you went to Brazil. Is that right, you went to Brazil? Yeah. Talk, talk about yes. that experience and, and why you went. What were you looking to do or looking to see? I, it was a two-week trip, it wasn't very long. I went down there because one of my friend's families goes down every year and they talk about how rich the experience is just helping people. And I, I heard that they were going to be doing some things with like anti-human trafficking endeavors. And I remember thinking, oh, that's like, some, that's something I'm really passionate about. I want to go down and, and do that. And it wasn't exactly what I had hoped that it would be. It was a bit different. But in that, we did end up doing something pretty exciting. We ended up building a church and I learned how to, what is it where like you cement over the- yeah. um, Plaster? See, yeah, I like plastered the church and I remember thinking, this is awesome. I want to try this out right. on my own house one day maybe. But anyway, <laughs> the thing though that I took away from it, I learned a lot about religion in that experience and how religion can really separate people. And that might be dangerous to say, but how whenever we operate in a space where better than or we have an antidote, I don't know, I, I witnessed things. And I was like, wow, this is, I'm 18 years old and I feel like I'm learning about how to see people for who they actually are versus do you believe what I believe? Right. I think that can get, that can divide people and separate people in a really profound way. So I went down there to say, gosh, I really want to help these people. I want to go rescue girls from trafficking and I, I want to do my part in that as much as I can. That was probably the furthest of the things that had happened. None of that went on. We ended up building a church and we did go down to a red light district for a moment, but it wasn't remotely what I thought that it would be. And it was because I saw the confines of religion kind of take place of what could have been I don't know yeah I hear you I don't know how to explain that but I did I will say that I went to China a few years after and that was amazing we did go into brothels and we did go meet with people and we wrote songs and it was this very fluid experience that was it was life-changing that was life-changing and you start to see people for who they actually are. You sit with them, you hear their stories, you grieve with them, you experience their pain, you rejoice with them, you experience laughter, and you realize there's so many things in this life that actually make us more alike than, than different. And sure. it's beautiful. Well said, and as, you, as you're going through these experiences, are you also looking toward your future at who you want to become and also what you want to do professionally? Did you have any any sense at all at age 18, 19, 20, 21, what you were really going to do later on in life? I really wanted to become a singer. I knew that. And when I was 18, I went to American Idol. Or no, I was, I was 17 when I did that. And I tried out for American Idol. So I think when I was 18, it was kind of this moment. I think I'd gotten kicked off of American Idol. I got the golden ticket to Hollywood, and then I got cut after that. Mm. I remember thinking like, gosh, I want to do music, but I have no idea what that looks like or how to be involved in that. I don't, I have no idea what this looks like. 
I just remember going to Brazil thinking if I didn't do music, the next thing that I would want to do, the other thing, if you will, would be to help people. I went to LSU. I ended up going to LSU for child and family studies. Go Tigers. And yeah, go Tigers. I went for child and family studies. It was because I wanted to do pro bono work for human traffic victims. I wanted to go into law and that didn't happen either. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I, I think I was holding one thing in my hand, longing to, yeah. to do music and longing to be a part of something creative, but also realizing like that might not necessarily be my future. In what ways can I be a part of that and, and still helping other people? In what way? If it's not creatively, how can I get involved? And I think I needed to go through that period of time where I've just, where I just genuinely experienced compassion oh. in a different way. So I'm curious, you, you get the golden ticket to Hollywood, you've made it, and then you get kicked out in the next attempt. I think you went back the next year and maybe the, the year after that. During that time, Lauren, did you feel like you'd failed or was it more like you, you got a scent of the track that you were called to go down and you, you realized I may not have succeeded right when I wanted to, but hang on, it's, it's coming, it's in my future. Yeah, totally. So I ended up, so I did it three times, so I'm, I'm putting it in my mind. So when I was 17, I tried out. Uh, I got told the no at 18. Tried out again, I think at 19, got told no at 20. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is, I know that this is what I want to do. But what I was really leaning on more than anything were all those, those visions or dreams that I had right. when I was in when I was a kid, like I knew I had seen it and I, it was so real to me. And I had to remember thinking like, I just, and it's so real. It's so tangible. I think if this isn't my experience, then I, I'm going to have to redefine. And I hadn't even gone into music yet, but that's how real it was. I remember I left American Idol and I cried for one day about it. I was blue for like one day just kind of bummed and my mom came to me and she said you you have to choose now are you going to believe the yes of god or the no of man and that was so poignant for me to just understand and to get a hold of um at such a young age and i remember leaving that experience and thinking if this is what i am supposed to be doing with my life i know that i know that i know that i know it will happen like hands down I'm not concerned about it if it's meant to be it will it will be and I left and I went to LSU and I tried to involve myself I think the thing about it is what you have to do is you have to put yourself into when you're trying to move into something that you long for you have to make yourself available for it even if the circumstances around you appear to be completely disconnected awesome. from the place that you want to head towards. So I was at LSU. I was like, why am I here? I do not want to be doing anything academic. That was when I was like, well, I guess I'll do China family studies, do pro bono law, whatever. But I wasn't negating the dream and the passion that I felt from within. So I decided to join a band while I was in college I also surrounded myself with as many musical classes as I possibly could while I was at LSU I took voice and choir 
I remember just trying to keep myself surrounded, keep myself surrounded. In that process, this is kind of Providence in its fullest form. While I was singing with that band, they introduced me to another band that had a pretty remarkable story how, how it all unfolded. But I, in, I was introduced to that band. They were called The Assembly. I sang background vocals for them. And then from that experience, I went up to Seattle, which is kind of crazy, like how it all unfolded. But I went up to Seattle um, because this record label reached out to that band and said, hey, we do this indie artist retreat. We would love to host you. By the way, we had a female drop out. We have one more female slot. Would you mind if um, your background vocalist came up and, you know, sang as well? Would she be interested in that? And they're like, yeah, probably. So the label calls me. They're like, hey, would you be interested in coming up to Seattle? We do this indie artist retreat. We'd love to host you. I was like, I don't even know what this is about, but this is amazing. I've never seen Seattle and I've never seen the mountains and I'm about it. And so I went up there and I remember just thinking, gosh, I am in awe of this place. Like it was so beautiful, but I have no idea why I'm here. <laughs> and little did I know you, it was all to sing a showcase for the label in order to get signed. Mm. And I, at the time, I was just writing songs in my bedroom. I wasn't really writing songs for the world to hear. And, but that was the best, that was the best factory. That was the best studio. And the craziest part is the morning of the showcase, the lead singer of that band got an emergency appendectomy. And I ended up singing lead vocals. Uh, I sang one song and the label ended up signing me from that experience. And so I say all I say that entire story to to tell anybody who's listening, you know, if you're in a place in life that there are dreams or there are things that you're hoping for or longing for and they don't even remotely seem to be in close proximity, just surround yourself yeah. uh, with as much influence as you possibly can while being persistent and diligent in the work that is set before you. Um, it's not negating one or doing one halfway in order to get to where you're going. It's being diligent with what you have while staying focused on what's to come. Lauren, you could drop the mic on that. Fortunately, we have a little bit more time together. So we're, we're going to plow forward, hand in hand, moving on. You mentioned that you, you write songs. Do you write the words first or do you hear the music first and then you back into the words? It's a little bit of both, I would say. There are times where the music comes first and I just get a melody and then I try to put a phonetic sound to it. And then from that kind of phonetic shape, I'll try to match words to that phonetic shape. And then there's other times where I'll get lyrics and melody at the exact same time, like just walking around humming and singing a little, little ditty or something. And then lastly, there's other times where I'll go into the studio and, you know, my friends will be playing something on the piano and have kind of a piano melody marked out and I'll sing a vocal melody. And then we have someone else that's, you know, pinning lyrics and it's very collaborative and that can take shape in many, many different ways. I, I personally love creating together. I think that's super special for me. I think the thing about collaboration is the fact that it pulls out spaces of you that you may not have thought to explore. Um, it brings out different perspective. 
And I love, I love that. It kind of goes back to being in Louisiana. <laughs> and by the way, I love Louisiana. So uh, we'll, we'll come back to that, that in a moment. But I'm, I'm going to quote back to you some lines from three of my favorite songs that you've, you've written and uh, created for us. So the first one is called This Girl which is a great title, by the way, but the, oh, the, first, the first four lines, here they are. I've been a winding road, I know you know. Sometimes a stranger in my home. Keep going back and forth through the open door. I'm still learning to be still. Uh, you sing that way more beautifully than John O'Leary reads it, but w when you hear <laughs> those words and when you hear that song in your head, because I picked these three songs because I think they, they sing true for where we are today as, as a society. So when you hear that first line and that shot across the bow from this girl, what do those words mean for us today? I've been a winding road. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I remember going backwards a little bit when we were writing that song. It's probably the song that I, I don't want to say I value that writing experience the most. But that writing experience was so incredible. We had just finished writing for about two weeks and I guess majority of the record was almost complete at that point. And one of the writers that was with us, he said, hey, I'm leaving. Do you care if I pray? And we had just had this like kind of a mountaintop experience. We were all on this hill at my producer's studio mm. and it was so just rich. The time was so rich. And he said, do you care if I pray out? Like that might be odd, but I just, I really feel that. So my producer is sitting on the roads and he's playing down some chords. The, the guy started praying. His name's Paul Duncan. He starts praying and my brain just starts going off. And I'm like, melodies are coming to my mind. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose this. Like say amen already. <laughs> say amen. You know, laughing at it. But he says, amen. I said, okay, before anybody speaks, I think I have a melody. I don't know where this is coming from, but I just sang out oh, dee -dee -do, dee -do, dee -dee -do, dee -do, because the resonance in that room with my voice, it, it, the O-shaped vowel really works beautiful in the room that we were in. I ended up saying in that process, like, this girl ain't going anywhere. And then I keep going, oh, dee -dee -do, dee -do, and I kept going. And one of the producers stopped me and said, wait, you just said something like this girl ain't going anywhere. We should, we should write that song. And I, and I'd said something about like, like I've been on a, a long road. Oh, I know, you know, or something, you know, to that effect. And what I realized is a song was, it was coming out of me maybe before I was realizing the gravity or the weight of it. It was almost like the song was singing mm. to me even though it was coming out of me. Um, and we often talk about that in the writing, in the writing world, like sometimes a song writes you before you write it. And it was definitely that, that sort of an experience. I've been a winding road, oh I know you know. Sometimes a stranger in my home. Keep going. I'm still learning to be still. At the time, I felt like I was walking out of this period where I had 
stopped. I was losing elements of myself that I really loved. I didn't know how to keep the core of who I was intact. And I felt afraid of moving forward because I didn't know how much more of myself would be, would have to change. And I realized some of that wasn't all altogether bad. Some of it was just change and in life and in circumstances, you know, my whole world kind of flipped upside down. And then other parts were me learning, okay, how do I not in the process of change? How do I do this in a healthy way? How do I do this in a positive way? It was almost like God was telling me in that moment, like, you know, all the places you've gone to, to find rest that have been outside of me. You know, all the places you've gone to, to find stillness that are outside of me. And you know all the, the ways that you have been running. But I want you to know you're, you're not going anywhere. There are places that you might try to escape. But I have you so held dear. There is never a place that is too far out of my reach. There's no depth that you can go to that's too dark or too ugly or too shameful that my reach can't grab and pull you right into. And there was this weird oddity. It was almost like I was like homesick for myself again, homesick for what I had known, homesick for the relationship with God that I had once known. And the thing about that is that line, sometimes a stranger in my home, that's what that's relating to feeling like you're surrounded by all the things that are familiar, all these familiarities all the places of comfort, yet feeling so far lost in, in the middle of them. It's like people that explain that sentiment of being surrounded by a crowd, being lost in the crowd, being lonely yeah. in the middle of a crowd when you're surrounded by people. It can be isolating. And I think I needed a voice to come in and tell me uh, what the truth was and that God wasn't too far away and that I... I think a lot of times people can see the lights, the cameras and all the things and think, oh, that life seems so together. And, right. and there are moments of difficulty. There are moments where um, I have to be found again. You know, I'm, I'm just as much human as everybody else. And so I think there was just this certainty of in the midst of my questioning, I had been questioning so much. It was almost like my, like God was using my spirit to answer mm. the questions like, God, am I going to lose myself to this? Am I going to completely fall by the wayside? Like, I don't want to lose who I am. That whole idea of gaining the world but losing your soul, like, I did not want to have any remote interaction with that. And it was almost like God kind of bringing the security blanket around and saying, I've got you. Perfect tie into the next song I wanted to ask you about. It's another one of the ones that, Lauren, I just, it moves me, it almost moves me to tears every time I hear it. I have a book coming out in a couple of weeks called In Awe, and it's an invitation for we adults to return to what it once felt like to be a child. And so you wrote a song about this. You beat me to the punch. It's called Look Up, Child. And a, a couple of lines from this beautiful song go like this. Where are you now when the darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling in? And you know, oh, I hear you say, look up, child. Hey, look up, child. And then Lauren goes on to talk about doubts and wars and storms and suffering and everything else we're going through. 
And I think it's a song we need to hear in spring of 2020 because it feels an awful lot like we got a lot of doubt, a lot of wars, a lot of storms, and a lot of suffering. So when you sing that song or you hear those words in your heart today, what, what do you hope that we listeners might receive from Look Up Child? Oh, I love that. What I hope for is that people hear hope in it. I wrote that song, let's see, I guess that was about two and a half years ago, two years ago. And I remember just feeling like I want to write a song that the world can cling to in, a, in the process of calamity, which is kind of crazy that we're talking about that song with the shape of the world right now. At the time, there was a lot of ISIS going on and that was, you know, the headlines in the media. And I was with a friend, his name's John Foreman. He's the lead singer of, of Switchfoot. And he had talked to me about one of their songs a lot of people that were fleeing their countries, they found out were listening to um, like in their headphones as they were fleeing and crossing borders and going into new ways of life. And I remember thinking, God, I want to write something that is substantial like that, like in the world's worst of moments and the worst of times. It's something that brings hope and joy and perspective and comfort. How do I pin something like that? It's crazy that, you know, where are you now when the world is crumbling? Um, that, that was kind of in reference to the ISIS scenario. And now, fast forward, now that the record is actually out, what we're going through right now, I hope that these words are just a salve to people's spirits, to their souls, that it's a healing bomb of encouragement and that people, when they hear it, they, they're reminded of what it feels like to be a child. They're reminded, you know, children, they worry a little bit less than adults do sometimes. And their perspective, it, it is limited in ways, but it's way bigger in others. I think returning to that in the process of darkness and, and the process of difficulty um, is where it's like fire to gold. And it's, it's like, you know, where all the dross and the impurities are, are taken, taken out. Mm. Where are you now when darkness seems to end? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Oh, I hope that 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 song brings healing and and life the life of a child that kind of life where people can laugh in the midst of of difficulty I don't know if you've ever seen it before where a kid will fall on the bike their bicycle and they scrape themselves up and they start to cry but while they're crying they start laughing at themselves because they realize how how silly it was yes and it's the pain isn't necessarily there, but they, they're more inundated with laughter. And it's almost where kids get that like sleepy laugh where they're, they're so tired and they're, they're crying because they're so tired, but then they start laughing hysterically. That kind of laughter, that kind of life 
that in the process of what could be wounding and what can be really difficult and painful and sorrowful that the laughter of a child would just sweep through this song and meet people there. Uh, you captured it perfectly. And, and I'm going to ask you about one more song. You might even be sick of talking about it, but I don't care because it's just so good. The words begin, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I'll never measure up. Uh, am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once just who I am because I need to know. It's a song you say. It has been played on everyone's radio dial. Uh, it touches everyone's heart no matter where they are or what they believe, which I think is so amazing. Uh, so I'm going to ask this question in two ways. Number one is when you wrote that song and recorded it, did you know that this was like, this song is going to go? So when you, when you recorded, you say, did you yeah. know on the front side, man, I, we have something special here? I, I did. And I'll tell you, I didn't know quite to the gravity that it was, not, not to the scale that it has gone. I remember I, I wrote it with my producers, Paul Mabry and Jason Ingram. And yeah. right when we finished, I rushed over to my manager's house and I said, we have a song, we have a song. And I played it for her. I was like in shock, you know. It was the first song that we had written after the How Can It Be era. Yeah. So How Can It Be, I'd been touring How Can It Be for like two years. I hadn't written at all. I was so in the throes of touring. They were, you know, talking about needing to start writing for the next record. So I think I was kind of, there was like a week or something that I had off um, in the middle of touring. And I went and we ended up writing this song. It was the day after the Dove Awards. I remember just feeling so torn about not the experience of the Doves, but like, what does all of this mean? This, these flashing lights. And there were so many things that I was like, huh, this is so different from <laughs> me growing up on the swamp in Louisiana. And I just didn't know what it meant, what it all meant. And I was feeling very insecure. When I went into the studio, my producer said, we need to replace all the lies with the truth. That was kind of the songwriting process. But in the, in the middle of that, I was thinking to myself, not another ballad, like not another <laughs> ballad. We've already done these ballads. And I was also thinking like, it's going to take me a while going to take us a while to kind of like sharpen our riding muscles you know and get back into the swing of things but it didn't take any time at all I mean that was the first song we wrote post how can it be but I was in this state of like gosh not another ballad like the whole like I felt like all of how can it be was ballads and I'm tired of belting my lungs out like I want something with soul I want something with groove I want something a little different ballads absolutely have soul that's not that's definitely not me saying that but and I thought, there's no way that this is going to reach anybody because people are so over me singing ballads. Little did I know. But that was in the middle of the songwriting process. Then when we finished the song, which we wrote the song in about an hour and a half, two hours. When, whenever the song was finished was when I realized, like, you, Lauren, can be just over singing ballads. Like, you could be tired of it. But this is a good song, and you cannot deny it. And that's when I was like, this... I could feel there's this thing that happens in the writing room. You get this kind of like gut experience and you're like, this is going to be, this is going to be greater than me. Mm -hmm. This is more than me. And it's almost like this partnership begins to unfold and it's, 
it's really like holy ground. And I remember that happening in the room and I let, that's when I left and went to my manager's house and I said, I cannot believe it. She was like, what? I said, we have a song (laughs) and I played it for her. And little did I know that it was going to be received the way that it was. It's, it's, it still blows my mind. Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Even those who are on the very tippity top of the ladder and those who are carrying the weight of it, the weight of the world, need the reminder that we are enough. Uh, and so that yeah. song, every time I hear it, it's just so, it's so well done, Lauren. So uh, December 25th, I'm going to speed this up just a little bit because we had the Live Inspired 7 to get to before you and I get back to our life and back to uh, fighting the good fight. But December 25th, 2017, you are on the heels of an epic roadshow. You've been touring, you've been singing your heart out, you've been doing interviews like you are today, and you're completely spent. So although you um, are on top of the world, you're wiped out by it. What, what happens that morning that changes you? And the reason I'm asking this, Lauren, is because the majority of the nation and the nations right now are waking up in isolation and uh, wondering, mm-hmm. how do they become successful again? And how do I speed up again? And how, how do I get back to my old life again? And I think part of the insight that you had through this experience that you're maybe going to share here in a moment might give us a little bit of hope for the experience we're going through right now. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what that experience was, but that's actually the same scenario I'm in right now. Right. I, so I woke up December 25th and I said, God, I am burnt out. The definition of burnt out. I was so fried. I was super sick. I had actually worked myself into a kind of exhaustion where I was in and out of getting sick, having to fly to the city because I contracted this illness, contracted this illness. Like I was so sick. Uh, It was the first time I had experienced true exhaustion. I'm not talking like, oh, I need to sleep for two days. I'm talking my cortisol levels were down, my serotonin levels, every, like my brain had worked itself into just a pretty fried state. And my body was at nothing. I had nothing to give. I remember December 25th waking up and our family is the family that has everybody over for Christmas. It's never a dull moment. And I had just come off of a Christmas tour and thought to myself, I can't see a human even if it is my family, I cannot see a human in the state that I'm in. Like I have got to get just an ounce of rest. I was on my knees in my bedroom and um, the Lord, I just flipped up in the Bible and it was a passage that said, even while you sleep, I will provide. I looked out at the past. My parents live on a bunch of acres and I looked out at the front lawn and I was just sitting on the ground looking out the window and it started, it made me think about harvest, just seeing the grass. And, and I said, God, like in my career, what year of the harvest am I in? And he brought me back, you know, to those American Idol days. And I was in 
in year seven, about to enter into the eighth year. And if you know anything about harvest, you have to give a year of rest every seven years for the soil to replenish so that your fruit, your crops are, are, are fruitful. I remember thinking to myself and, and realizing the verse that God had just given me, even while you sleep, I will provide. It was his way of saying like, Lauren, I want this next year to be a year of stillness. Now, to understand what that meant, I was at, at that point, the height of my career, which is where people always say, when you've hit that momentum stride, you have to run hard because you lose everything. Run hard, run hard, run hard. You're going to lose everything. You have to go while the iron's hot. Like people will forget about you. There's so many other distractions. You'll become one of the people that just gets lost in the shuffle. You're, you're at the height of your career. Run hard. And instead, I said, I'm going to go silent. I'm going to go radio silent, literally, pun intended. I took off for about six months straight. It, actually, it was probably a little more than that. I was probably closer to a year. I remember canceling everything. I had tours lined up. I canceled tours. I had a book deal. I was supposed to, I canceled the book. There was just, there was a lot of things that I stopped because I knew in order to be fruitful in the next season of my life, if I am not still, it almost felt like disobedience in a way. I remember just thinking, I've got to do this. I'm so glad I did. And I called my manager that day and I said, Hey, I know this is crazy, but um, I'm going to have to take off the rest like the following year. That's a painful call. Yeah. And we had one tour that we couldn't get out of. So I did that tour, but every other thing I, I canceled it. And um, she was amazing through the process. She said right then she got this vision of a, a slingshot. Sometimes when you pull back that slingshot, it seems like backward motion, like you're going backwards, but it's only because you're about to be propelled and rocket launched. So sometimes you have to take a step back, get lost in stillness. And then that stillness is, it's almost like a fire. It's like an explosion and you propel forward and at a rate of speed that you wouldn't have had you been laboring every single day in forward motion. Stillness is oddly unique in that way that you can be still and rest and be let your mind go free let your your heart and your spirit be revived you can be still and somehow god has a way of taking the things that are on earth and flipping them upside down how is it that when you rest you can be more profitable more successful i think that year was the highest grossing year of my business if we want to talk financial that was like one of the highest grossing years that I had experienced. So for people that are at home thinking, how am I ever going to find a job again? How am I ever going to work again? My business is falling apart. I'm a business owner. My, I, I can't fire employees. I can't lose these people. Like all of those things. How is it? We're wasting so much time, idle time, idle time, idle time. I would say press into the stillness and press into rest open your heart up, open your spirit up and see what it is that is um, supposed to be formed and made and created within you. Mm. Because you never know, we don't know what the world is going to look like in the next season, but I have a feeling that it's going to be 
more successful, more profitable, richer, and more creative. I feel like people in this stillness are going to start inventions that we never saw. The world would have never had had people had inventors not been still. We're going to see art and creativity in a way that we wouldn't have had creatives not been still. We're going to see business owners and people that are, are there to keep the economy alive. We're going to see them more profitable because they had a, a time of refreshment. I just think that relationally, the world needs it right now. We need to have phone calls with people that we love again. We need to have dinners where we sit with our our loved ones, our spouses. We need to have marriages come back together. We need to have fathers return to the homes. We need to have, there's so many places of brokenness that are needing, needing each other, needing that phone call, needing stillness to be present so that we could be reached again. I, I say all of this to say, you know, I had this phone call with my manager last night and she said, okay, I was supposed to be on tour all the way until August. And I don't really know quite yet when I'm going to be able to be back on the road. We're postponing all the shows, which is good. We're not having to cancel them, but I, it could be a lot longer than what I had expected. And after this tour, I was going to go back into one of those periods of stillness, six months off where I let my spirit be refreshed and revived again. And um, where I, I'm at a place of inspiration where I can write and create and you know, I'm, I'm talking to her and she's like, okay, well, we're not expecting this now, you know, like we weren't expecting this. You were supposed to be kind of in full blown workhorse mode. So what should we do? Like, what are your priorities? And I know she, there was a, a moment in her, I could hear it in her voice that was probably hearing me think, okay, well, let's come out with this merch line and let's come out with this thing and we're, we're going to get this done and we're going to do this and I'm going to create this business right now. And we're going to, I love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love all those things. And I think she was expecting me to go on that train. And instead I said, remember when I called you a couple years ago and I said, Hey, I'm supposed to just be still. Um, I think I'm just supposed to be still right now. And I think that when we come back, I'm like, the world is going to need people who have have been diligent in resting mm. so that they can kind of be at army's force. They could be at warrior force as the healthcare workers need rest. You know, how can we go and be the arms and, and legs for them? How can we help them as leaders who are having to make decisions right now under duress? How can we go and be an element of rest for them? So I'm going to take up that time now to be still and to rest and to kind of fill myself up so that when the world does get back into motion, as we have known in a way, I can be really proactive and, and diligent and not an empty vessel, but rich and alive. Mm -hmm. And she said, I am so glad. She said, you know what happens whenever you do that, <laughs> you know? And so I just, I say that to encourage everybody who's in the same scenario. Like if you have any sort of, you know, anger or even hostility towards the way time is having to be spent right now, I would say the sooner you, you get that out, the sooner you're frustrated, sort through those emotions and allow yourself to grieve the loss of what you know. The sooner you get over that, the, the faster you get into a state of acceptance.
And as you accept, it's almost like you become open, you become fluid, um, you can receive, and you fill your, you can fill yourself up in, in ways that only rest and only stillness can. And you'll find yourself more alive, more alert, in a state of, of dreaming again. And I think our hopes and our dreams is, it is what the world will flourish on again um, in times to come. So I love it, yeah. man. And you know, it's only in, in that pause and in that rest that we recognize what we've been racing to achieve, the beauty of it, the mistakes mm -hmm. of it, and then repivot into what we're supposed to do next. So I think, I think you're going to do something amazing during this resting period. And I just hope the rest of us are learning too, that it's, it's not a period of waste. It's a period of rest and it's completely different. So Lauren Daigle, we are going to pivot into the final questions together. We call them the live inspired seven. And the first one, it's one that's been asked of every guest, musician, artist, uh, author, overcomer, and great Pete person. So here it is. What is the best book you've ever read? I love Love Does. It's a simple read, but it was one of the most, I think at the time that I read it, it was one of the most resourceful and helpful and encouraging books um, that I needed in, in the period of time that I was in. So I say Love Does. And it, I'm recording this in our studio. I got a, a, a wall of podcast guests staring down at me right now. One of them has a nice white beard, dark rim glasses, a big old smile on his face, and his name is Bob Goff. Yes. So Bob has been on the show, and I love that book, too. It's so simple. It's so, so good. Obvious, kind of, and yet we miss what is right in front of us. So Bob is awesome. Yes. It's what, what, so what, that's what it is. That's the best way to say it. It's the obvious things that we look past. This next one's in your wheelhouse because you live it every day, but what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you had as a little girl grow, growing up in Louisiana that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Oh my gosh, that's an incredible question. I wish I could climb trees better. That's one. But <laughs> I will say, I wish- You know um, what though? I, I, even what that represents, this idea yes. of- leaving the front yard, going to a tree and leaving what you know behind. Like there's so much yeah. there. It's what kids do all day long. It is. And, and they have the greatest joy in it. It was my greatest joy as a kid to climb trees. Like my absolute favorite thing. So I think even the simplicity of that wonder, I wish I was better at, I, now don't get me wrong. I am someone that gets lost in wonder. I can be in awe of something but I feel like the older I've gotten the more difficult or not difficult I just don't go there as often mm. and so I think if there's anything that I wish I could exhibit better or more eloquently or beautifully it would be that to get lost in wonder more frequently I'm so good. like I did when I was a child awesome uh when this thing ends I'm going to send you a book that might help you do exactly that so question number oh. three if, if your home caught fire, family, friends, pets, everybody is out. You have an opportunity, though, to run back in and grab one item, just one thing that you really, you really need to have with you. What's that one item that you run back into that house to grab? Okay, I'll tell you my first thought, and then I'll tell you my second thought. First thought was, I do not care at all. <laughs> Let it all go down. Totally. I know that sounds so, that might sound morbid. I just, I just don't care. I don't. I think once all the things that matter are out, that's all I, genuinely, that's all I care about. Things can be rebought, 
memories are forged in my mind. I don't need a thing to, to remind me of them. I love life so much. And, but the reason why I love it is not because of the things I have. It is genuinely because the people that are around me. So I don't think I'd go back in. I think, well, let's just roast some marshmallows really quick. (laughs) I'm kidding. But seriously, the second thought was my grandfather gave me a hundred dollar bill before he passed away. He gave one to each one of his grandkids. And it was like, as he was passing, he knew he was going to die. And so he always had this saying, be sure to know who you are. Be sure to know whose you are and you better. And he would use an explicitive right there, but he'd say, you better blank know where you are. And that was his kind of wink, wink. I love him saying that. He would always say, stay, stay true to who you are. And with that, he would follow up with, you better know who you are. You better know whose you are. And you better know where you are. And so he gave us that $100 bill while he was telling us that. So I'd probably run back in for that, that $100 bill. That's where I would say majority of the songs came from, is from the things that he would say, his one-liners. Hmm. And then um, the That third, girl, by the way, that, that, that girl of his, uh, yes, that's a pretty cool always, thing that you just came out with. Yeah. He would always call me that girl. And he would have me sing for everybody. He'd say, that girl's here. That girl is here. And uh, he would have me sing for everyone. <laughs> yeah, this girl kind of came out of that unknowingly. It was kind of beautiful. God's little wink to me. And then the third thought was, I, I keep this letter box. And it's comprised of letters from my childhood all the way to now. Letters that I get from people, even if it's just a simple thank you note. Um, or if it's, you know, a saga. Or if it's a birthday right. card. And so I'd probably run back in mm. and and grab that letterbox. That is so good. So first thing you're going to do is buy marshmallows and uh, have a party. Second thing, <laughs> grab a $100 bill, not because it's cash, but because it's grandpa's. And third mm-hmm. thing is the letterbox. So my, my next yes. question to you with those possessions now in your lap is if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have just an awesome long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to on that bench? My grandfather, obviously, just because I miss him like crazy. That would be, that would be so profound. Ironically, I, so I like to answer these kind of questions with the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. And Quincy Jones is the first one that came to mind. And I think the reason why is because I would love to learn from him. I would love to sit and just engulf myself in his stories, the way his brain works, the way that he was able to record and produce so many prolific artists, but I would also ask him about his hardships and his pains and what drove him to be who he was. And I think I would learn things that I liked. I think I would learn things that I wouldn't like. And I like those kind of people. Mm. I like people that aren't just like me and I can have a good conversation with them because of it. I like to sit next to people who make me question things, who make me ponder, who make me inquisitive. and who make me zealous and more passionate about what I do. And um, I think he'd probably be one of those kind of people. That's awesome. What's the best advice, whether it's Quincy Jones or grandpa or anybody else ever gave you? So uh, question number five is Lauren Daigle, what is the best advice you've ever received? Well, there's two, gosh, 
That's hard. Okay, so Bob Goff, because we were talking about Bob Goff, he had told me once, kind of when I was in this scenario of like feeling like I didn't know how to handle everything, he had said to me, Lauren, you need to always remember who your eight-year-old self is. Whenever you feel lost, just remind yourself of your, the eight-year-old version of yourself and carry a Mr. Potato Head everywhere you go. So when you're in a business meeting that's really difficult, pull out that Mr. Potato Head and remind yourself, stop worrying about the things that an eight-year-old wouldn't worry about. And I think that really, that stuck true to me. It's actually where Look Up Child came from. It's where the record came from. That eight-year-old self, how can I look through her eyes more and more and more as I go through life? Gosh, and for the rest of us, th think how that would change what we saw and then what we did next. So uh, mm -hmm. let's all grab the potato head, throw it in your purse or pocket and uh, start seeing life again as a child does naturally. My friend Lauren, you almost made it to the finish line. Question number six is what would you tell your 20 year old self? So you, you, you flopped out now from American Idol a couple times. You're, you're trying to figure what your way into the next step of life. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? My advice would be uh, steady the course. Just keep moving forward because I was telling my manager last night, like this tour, this past tour, the one that I'm currently on, has to date been the evidence of what all of the years prior have been worked so hard for. Like sometimes I feel like you're in the process of work, 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 and you do, 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 and you you often wonder, is what I'm expending myself for worth it? Is it actually going to amount? What does this look like, you know? And whenever this arena tour hit, it matched the dreams that God gave me when I was that teenager. And so it was kind of like, okay, it was every bit of it was worth it. And I'm talking from a work perspective, not from a spiritual perspective because it doesn't matter to me personally if I am you know singing to a group of five people right. and their hearts are being touched or to 10,000 people or 20,000 people and their hearts are being touched I've sang before 400,000 people once and I would rather probably rather the theater of 2,000 people I'm not talking numbers numbers can be many things what I'm talking about when I say steady the course all the things that you work hard for are going to amount. It is for me seeing the things that God showed me actually come to pass. The things that I saw when I was a, a kid in those dreams, like seeing it actually come to pass and it being as rich and as good as I had hoped that it would be. That is pretty wild to get to be a part of. So for that 20 year old, I would say steady the course, stay focused, keep putting one foot in front of the other. When you think you've lost your mind, when you think you've lost yourself, God will always direct you back to who you are in him. Just stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. So Lauren Daigle, you are about as focused a person as I've ever met or had the pleasure of interviewing. Final question, my friend, is this. It has been said that all great people, and I believe you are one, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Lauren Daigle, oh how do you gosh. want your one sentence to read, lady? Oh my gosh. If, it, if, it, if this is my dying day and people were writing, I hope that they would say, Lauren Daigle was a woman who loved well, loved rich, and loved deep.
that's what I would want them to say. Lauren Daigle is a woman who loved well, loved rich, loved deep. She is an incredible composer, songwriter, human being, giver, interviewee, and friend. So Lauren, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend a little bit with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. My friends, that is Lauren Daigle. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live Inspired.